Science and Technology Time, and this week we'll be looking at the Trinity atom bomb test, how that's helping scientists understand how the moon was formed. Um, also, uh, new data suggesting a country has overtaken South Korea in research and development investment. Find out which one, and SpaceX with a new launch pad and upping its game. All on the way, Mark Zastro, science journalist, good morning to you. Good morning, Alex. So we'll start with one of the most momentous events in all of human history, the first detonation of the atom bomb. It was the Trinity Test, July 1945, in the desert of New Mexico. As reported in a study last week, scientists are still learning from it, but for an unlikely reason to better understand how the moon formed. That's right. So this new study is actually examining that famous glass that was created by the incredible heat of the explosion, right? It melted the sand all around the blast site for about 350 meters, and it turned the desert floor into just this kind of melted radioactive glass. It has a green sort of quartz-like color and texture, and scientists named it trinitite. Now, the reason this has become helpful for lunar scientists is that in some ways this glass might be similar to moon rocks because according to theory, the moon was also formed in a blast of incredible heat 4.5 billion years ago. The prevailing theory is that the Earth was smashed by another planet the size of Mars at least one time, and then the moon was formed out of the debris that was left over, which would have been exposed to that heat just like the Trinitite was. So in order to test this theory of the moon's formation, the scientists wanted to look at Trinitite samples to see if it was similar to moon rocks. And so what exactly have they found out? Uh, were they looking for any particular signatures in the rock? Uh, yes. So uh, they were specifically looking for how that heat uh, dries out the chemical composition of the rock. That's actually one of the most striking things about moon rocks, the moon rocks that the Apollo astronauts brought back. At the time, scientists were really surprised to find out how incredibly dry they were. Uh, you know, of course, you expect all rocks to be pretty dry, uh, especially in space. But, you know, in fact, most rocks on Earth do have some moisture locked in them. But moon rocks, uh, not only do they have basically no water, but the impact and whatever happened to them had been so hot that it also evaporated away elements like chlorine and zinc. And so for this new study, uh, this team of scientists, they wanted to look at Trinitite's zinc content. And it took them a while to track down some samples because you know, the U.S. Army, decades ago, they, they bulldozed the Trinity site and they buried the Trinitite because, you know, it's radioactive. Uh, but these scientists did manage to find some samples in collections around the world. And lo and behold, they also found that Trinitite is really, really dry with very little zinc content. So that gives scientists some reassurance that we're looking at moon rocks in the right way, that their dryness is this direct evidence of this huge impact that created the moon in the first place. Well, let's move closer to home. For the past two years, this country, South Korea, has been the world's leader when it comes to R&D, research and development investment. Uh, that is as a fraction of GDP, but according to the latest figures released last week by the OECD, Israel has just barely taken the lead. 
That's right. Israel and Korea have been really running neck and neck the past few years. Um, these latest numbers are for 2015. And uh, according to the OECD, Israel invested 4.25% of its GDP into R&D. And Korea invested 4.23. So, you know, very, very close. We're kind of splitting hairs here. Um, but the difference in sort of the long-term trend is that Israel has basically held steady at around 4% for the last 15 years. And of course, Korea, 15 years ago, Korea was only at half that, at around 2%. So these numbers, they do reflect Korea's technological rise in that time period and that it has caught Israel uh, very recently. And the fact that they're now trading the lead back and forth, it really shows that Korea's investment, at least in the past couple of years, has more or less plateaued. And uh, is it the fact that Korea's R&D investment plateauing in itself something of a concern i don't i don't know if it's necessarily a concern uh it is it is a significant milestone you know uh, a lot of people would say there's just not really room in the budget for that slice of the pie to grow anymore and that's basically what you would expect to happen eventually for any developed nation um when you look throughout the oecd you see a similar trend r&d investment is basically flat or stable if you look at the eu the us and japan they're totally stable at around uh, 2% 2.8% and 3.5%. Korea was really an outlier in a sense that it it joined the OECD in 1996 and then it went on this spending spree, essentially doubling its spending uh, on R&D. The only country right now that uh, you know is on a similar trajectory uh, is China. They were at less than 1% 15 years ago. Now they're investing more in R&D than the EU in terms of GDP, and their percentage is uh, steadily growing. We've also got um, this fact, although Korea's given up the overall lead, it still has a very clear lead over the rest of the world in what the OECD considers to be basic science, a subject we were talking about actually last week on the show. I don't know if you caught that with this morning's person, Mark, but mm. science done purely for the pursuit of knowledge, really, this is. In other words, not industry or product-driven, considering the Chebol's dominance that might actually come as a bit of a surprise. Yes, uh, leading the world with uh, 0.73% of Korea's GDP is, is in this category of basic research. And a lot of people would you know, look at that as really good news because so often that is where real innovation comes from, from curiosity-driven research. Uh, but many would also look at that figure and say, that for that level of investment, Korea might be underperforming, uh, you know, relative to that figure, because you know we all know that brain drain is a big problem in Korean academia, in STEM fields, and you know a lot of this money for basic science, this uh, large sum of money, is going to a relatively small number of projects, and often to established scientists or to lure foreign scientists to come to Korea. So you know that can be taken as a good sign, but I think it also shows that Korea has a lot of untapped potential if it can better support young scientists and keep them in Korea. And that doesn't necessarily require more R&D investment uh, or a bigger slice of the pie. It just, you need to distribute it differently with grant programs, for example, that specifically support early career scientists. And, and universities now in Korea and the science ministry are trying to implement these kinds of programs. So, you know, I think that's really the new policy focus, not necessarily growing the slice of the pie anymore, but uh, using the R&D investment to create a more sustainable research environment. 
Well, we can finish off with SpaceX being back at full throttle. This sort of program is the result not only of research and development, also uh, great investment. And this sure. week, uh, the U.S. company is scheduled to complete construction of a brand new launch pad at the Kennedy Space Center in Florida. It plans to be launching a rocket from now on every two or three weeks. Yeah, that's a fast pace, and uh, it has been a long road back for SpaceX, um, considering that one of its Falcon 9 rockets exploded on the launch pad just last September. Uh, you may recall that grounded their fleet for about three months, and it also damaged that launch pad. So they're working on repairing it now, but luckily for them, they also uh, were about to finish this brand new launch pad, uh, which will come online this week. It had been in the works for some time. And now that they have this new pad, they think they can be launching every two or three weeks, which would be the fastest pace that they have ever maintained. And that would be good news for them because they have a backlog of 70 launch contracts to fulfill, which are worth a total of $10 billion. And also, starting next year, NASA is planning to pay SpaceX to send humans, U.S. astronauts, to the International Space Station. It's the first time they've ever had uh, human passengers. What's that, like Uber for space or something like that? Basically. <laughs> uh, now, speaking of which, there's another worry on the horizon for SpaceX. NASA's raised concerns about potential cracks in its rocket engines, which it wants the company to fix before it starts carrying this service out. Yeah, this is actually not a, a new issue, but it's been making some headlines in the past few weeks because NASA um, issued a report about it. So back in 2015, SpaceX did a routine test of their rocket engines, and they discovered that uh, uh, a part called the turbo pump, which feeds the fuel to the engines, it had developed some cracks during this test. And that raised some eyebrows at NASA, especially because part of SpaceX's strategy is to reuse these rockets. Um, they boost their payloads, they come back to Earth, they land upright, and SpaceX launches them again. So having cracks in an engine that you just use once and it falls into the ocean is not necessarily a, a, a big deal, but if you're going to use it again, uh, you might want to take care of that. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it, it's lucky basically that SpaceX discovered it now. They are redesigning it to try to attempt the, uh, to try to fix those flaws. Mark Zastro with our Science and Technology. Thank you very much. Thank you, Alex.